Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Bright Side. here on Bright Side of the Sun. Today, I'm joined by ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski to talk all things Suns in the NBA. So let's dive right into it. Adrian, how are you doing this morning? Evan, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Now, here in Phoenix, they have experienced seven, now likely eight straight seasons without club appearance. Uh, Woj, what are your overall thoughts on the Suns in terms of how they have flipped the switch the last few seasons in terms of roster talent and assets? Because really, McDonough's done a pretty slow job after that Goran Dragic Isaiah Thomas experiment. Yeah, they've done uh, a very good job of of drafting, of developing their young players, and and gathering up assets, whether it's you know draft picks, young players, um, you know, salary cap space is an asset, um, although you can't always use it the way you, you you hope you can use it. But I think you know they've hit on. Most of their lottery picks they've hit later in the draft with, you know, a Tyler, a Tyler Ulis who showed some potential last year and, and Alan Williams who, um, you know, is a, a, a young player that they, um, you know, that they've done a, a good job of developing and now have him, you know, locked in here uh, for the next few years. So, uh, you, know, you know, they've tried, I think, followed the blueprint a little bit of, or trying to follow the blueprint of, you know, the way Utah built with their young group, uh, Portland to an extent, although they, um, you know, they had playoff success when their young guys were built around LaMarcus Aldridge and Robin Lopez and that group. But you've seen they drafted well, developed their guys, and, and Ryan McDonough's trying to follow that same blueprint. Now, with Devin Booker, there's been a lot of talk this Austin about him making that, that jump to legitimacy this year with an all-around game. Uh, there's been a lot of that, so to say, around here. How do you see Devin Booker evolving in this league? And what potential is there for him? Because outside being a high-volume scorer right now, he's a, a negative around most ends. Yeah, certainly his all-around game has to improve to be the kind of franchise guy Phoenix is hoping he can be. He can certainly score the ball uh, at his position with, with any young player in the league. And, uh, you know, his development will be key to that group. He, he's a He's a player that they want to build around. You know, obviously Josh Jackson. You know, another high pick is somebody who they who Phoenix believes and uh, can evolve pretty quickly. And certainly some other, the Marquis Chris's, the Dragon Benders. Uh, there's a lot of young talent there, but it's but it begins and ends with Devin Booker and uh, certainly defensively. Um, you know, that's an area where he's. You know, I think overall defensively. That's a team that has to improve on that end, but but it starts with him, you know, especially at that position. You know, you're guarding uh, elite, you know, elite guards all around the league, and you've got to be able um, to to put up some resistance, and and that's certainly the next step for him. Uh, but Booker has shown just a you know tremendous ability to score the ball all over the floor, uh, space the floor, and it's fun to watch. Um, it'll be fun to watch his development. He, he's just a really skilled, really skilled young guy at that position. And, uh, you know, I think a player, you know, virtually any team in the league would, would love to have, uh, you know, in its arsenal. I know the roster around Phoenix is pretty young, but how do you see Booker? Do you see him making a jump this year, or do you think it's probably going to be another year or two before he's pretty much well-known around the league as a legitimate star? Well, you know, winning contributes so much to that. And, and as the team has success, I think Booker's credibility will grow around the league. And, you know, to be seen as a star, you certainly, um, you know, 
you have to have some success. You just do in this league. And there's a lot of guys who can put up points on bad teams. We've seen that through the years. And he wants, I think he's a hungry player. He wants to be a lot more than that. And the organization needs him to be more than that. But I think certainly he's been recognized around the league as, as a player with just tremendous potential. Uh, you've seen growth already with him. Uh, and I think that for for Phoenix, you know, just so much of their, um, you know, he'll set the tone for that team. He, he certainly is still a very young player, uh, but day in and day out to be a star in the NBA, you've got to practice hard, you've got to lead, you've got to defend. Uh, there's a lot of things that he's going to have to bring every day, you know, to be that kind of player that, that Phoenix needs him to be uh, to try to turn you know, what's a rebuilding, you know, what's been, what's going to, what's been and probably will be a, a pretty lengthy rebuilding process and turn it into, you know, real tangible success. Now let's talk about the likely co-star around Devin Booker here. You know, they're going to build around Josh Jackson from Kansas, who is this year's number four overall pick. Uh, I remember you told me at summer that you said there's a chance that you think Josh Jackson going to end up being the best player in this draft class. What are your overall thoughts on Josh Jackson? Where do you rank it compared to most rookies? And how do you see him stepping into a, probably a large role early on? Yeah, I think a lot of teams just there was great. Um, you know, a lot of teams, whether they were in position to draft him high up or or teams who had just scouted him very closely, and uh, you know, throughout his his year at Kansas, just see just tremendous potential for him, both ends of the floor. Uh, just a gifted, just a really gifted all around player, and. Uh, you know, in the Kyrie Irving talks, he was a player that, you know, you think about the opportunity Phoenix had to get Kyrie Irving and the fact that they thought that highly of Josh Jackson, that they kept him out of those talks, uh, which limited the package they could offer. Uh, but it speaks to how talented he is, how much potential uh, he has as a young player. And I think for Phoenix, you know, when you're drafting up, when you get into that top four, top five range, you've got to hit on those picks. And, uh, you know, Alex Len was a player at number five that, you know, when you look back, it was a poor draft. I mean, they, they, you knew it then. Uh, it, you know, you look at the top end of the lottery, uh, Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo, uh, not a draft with a lot of star quality. Uh, the, you know, the Greek free came later uh, outside the lottery. Uh, but uh, for the most part, and especially this was a very good draft this year, you've got to hit on those guys. And so uh, w- when you're in a rebuild, and I think Phoenix feels confident they've done that, I think uh, you know, I think there was a lot of disappointment there in the lottery that they didn't get up. At, you know, they had a chance to be at one or two or three. Um, and sometimes, you, you, you know, at four, a lot of drafts, four is always, you know, uh, you, you, so very often it's a it's a you know you're number four in a three player draft or you're number three in a two player draft and uh, I think Phoenix felt like they got an elite player uh, a, a young player with a chance to be you know really special and and so I think for his development is going to be important and and it's it's hard when you have a lot of young players Marquis Chris and you know, I think Dragon Bender's almost like a rookie this year for for how little he played last year you're almost going to treat this. And, and he was the youngest player in the league last year, almost really age-wise. I think was a month away from not you know having to be in this year's draft. Uh, so his 
it's hard to do it with lots of young guys. It just it just really is. And you know, that's part of the reason Phoenix, you know, had signed a Tyson Chandler a few years ago. Now that part of that was, you know, they were in pursuit of Marcus Aldridge. But it's hard to do it with just young guys. Um, the growth, especially in the NBA, the league can just really eat guys up. It can eat up young organizations. Uh, you know, so you want to see, um, you know, it's, it makes it incumbent on the coaching staff and player development in the front office to create, you know, create an environment where these guys can move along, you know, relatively quickly. But but a lot of that, you know, very much a lot of, very often a lot of that is really on the player and their motivation and their determination. And I think that's what's impressed people with Josh Jackson especially, very hungry player, just plays really hard and has a tremendous desire to be great. And I think that's what jumped out. Even some of the teams in front of Phoenix who who passed on him, that was the one thing they talked about was how hard he played. You know, people use that term motor. That's just a tremendous motor. Uh, and that that's really important uh, when you're building to have those because you can't – it's really hard to teach that. It's hard to embed that in a young player. You, you sort of – I think it's true in any walk of life. You either have that or you don't. It's hard for someone to motivate mm-hmm. you. And and I think so, those are factors that are really – you know, I think that's a big factor in Josh Jackson's corner because a lot of guys come in the league with really – you know, with with a lot of gifts. And, you know, some are willing to work harder, harder at it than others. And, and I think Phoenix, you know, in their evaluation of Jackson and then, you know, in the brief time they've had him, you know, had him in summer league and had him been around him, you know, I think he's validated that that uh, that, that ambition he has. And there was rumors running really hot around here, around when Kyrie Irving was rumored to be going somewhere. With, and Phoenix had brought up a lot there with Josh Jackson. Um, is McDonough now tied with Josh Jackson with a development after, or was he rather, would he rather have seven years of Josh Jackson compared to just two years of Kyrie Irving? Was there just not coming from Kyrie Irving's side on that? Yeah, and I think, you know, when you draft a young player now, um, you know, you, you you get him through his rookie deal, and then most in most all cases, you're getting that rookie extension done. It isn't until that second contract where you're real usually you're really at risk of losing the player. It's pretty rare when a guy doesn't do the rookie extension if if he's you know very good and and it, it's going to be a max and it's a no brainer. Most players stay, so you, you have that guy um, tied in. And with Kyrie Irving, you know he's got two years left on his deal. You don't have a commitment from him to stay. And now while that would have been a, you know, a Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker backcourt would have been mm-hmm. tremendous, I just think when you, you know, it was like New York, when you have a player like a Chris Epps Porzingis and, you know, a Josh Jackson who, who Phoenix hopes is going to be that kind of guy, you know, you want to bring in a Kyrie Irving, a player like that, to play with that player, not to, to move him out. And, and so, you know, if you're Phoenix, you hope, you know, as you grow your young players that in a couple of years when you have cap space that you can start getting in the game for those better veteran players who, who see an infrastructure and see, you know, a situation where, hey, if they add me to that, like, we've got something there. It's hard to get those players when your guys are all still really young, really developing. You know, Phoenix tried to get out there with, you know, Blake Griffin, for example, that's a tough sell for Blake Griffin at this point in his career where he's looking to try to win. If he's going to take less money somewhere and leave L.A., uh, you would think he's going to do it at a place that's really ready-made to win, you know, and uh, that, that kind of, you know, in that 
instance, Phoenix is still probably a couple years away at least from, you know, being in the conversation with those kind of guys. And probably the third pillar of the Suns' young roster revolves around Marquis, Chris, and Dragon Bender, and probably the two guys that need the most development out of them. Uh, let's tackle let's tackle that real quick. How do you see both Bender and Chris looking ahead into their sophomore seasons, and what's the overall feeling that you've heard about both of them around the league? Well, yeah, Chris is just, you know, his athleticism, the explosiveness. You know, you've seen flashes. You saw flashes at Washington, and then you saw some last year. Uh, certainly further along than Dragon Bender, I think, has more potential star power. Than Bender, I think Bender's going to be a good player, and I think, you know, people will make such quick judgments in the NBA on a player and label them. They're they're either hey they're a star when they may not be that yet, or hey, you know, this guy's a bust or this guy's not going to fulfill or isn't fulfilling his potential. And so often those all those characterizations are made too quickly, and and players do need time. It's a results driven league, and you got to get in there and you got to produce, but uh, ownership in different places has to understand it. It does take time, and you don't want to give up on a player too quickly and, and have him all of a sudden go somewhere else and, you know, fulfill his development. That's, you know, with Alex Len, that's the question for Phoenix, right? Like they, you know, whether or not they get a, you know, I would imagine he'll be back in one way or another this year. But, you know, they've, you know, Alex Len all of a sudden has a tremendous season uh, and is in great demand as an unrestricted free agent next summer. You know, Phoenix will probably wish that they had extended him, and vice versa. If he if his development's not as rapid, you know, they say, okay, we we hedged our bets, we we didn't commit a lot of money long term. Those are always the questions you're asking yourself with young players, and and I think you know, back to Chris and Bender, they're just, um, you know, it was a lottery you know, where Phoenix was able to get in and get that second. You know, they were really choosing between those two players and then got in, did the deal with Sacramento, and was able to find a way to get both of them. They didn't have to choose. They they got them both. And, and I think the feeling always was maybe that Chris would be, you know, his athleticism, his physical, some of his physical strength, um, while he still has a lot of development to do physically, was further ahead than Bender. And the injury to Bender last year, you know, obviously, uh, like I said, almost makes us feel like, a second rookie season for him, which isn't so bad. He's so young. And, but these are the kind of players you've got to hit it on. And when you have, like we said, when you, when you get two picks in the top eight in a draft, um, these guys have to develop. So you're right. Like this is crucial for the Suns as an organization to, you know, for those guys to be getting better, for them to be growing. Um, and, and both of them, I think, you know, if you're a Suns fan, if you're, if you're in the Suns organization, you, know, you want to see development this year with those two. It's, you know, uh, certainly along with Josh Jackson, you know, they may not all be there in the future, but what you want to do is develop everybody, develop assets, and then you have some pieces and deals and trades, um, you know, that, that certainly other people are going to scout closely, and, and, and maybe then there's, you know, potential to, you know, fill some other needs um, and, you know, unclutter a logjam at a particular position. Now, we ran through the core four of the Suns roster, and um, I want to ask you about Earl Watson, the head coach. He's pretty much built a really good family atmosphere and culture so far in Phoenix, and everyone's really seen to buy in on all levels of the organization. Uh, why, when they chose Watson a couple of years ago, were they really looking around anywhere else? And it seems as if Watson's probably here to stay for a few more seasons, right? Well, I, I think they did look. Uh, I think they had some conversations elsewhere, but they had Watson internally. Um, 
felt he was the right coach to grow with a young team. And, you know, that's what it will be for him is um, to have him as a young coach growing as a head coach um, had not been very experienced even as an assistant coach. Uh, it's a lot to take on so quickly after the end of your playing career. Others have done it, um, and, and certainly he's, he's trying to, to make that jump now. But, uh, you know, I think for him last year, maybe this year, he's going to be judged less on wins and losses and more on, as you said, environment and the growth of their players' development. Uh, at some point, he will be judged on winning and losing. Everybody is in the NBA, but but I think now, you know, he's at a point where he's he's being judged on some other things. It doesn't last very long in the NBA, um, but uh, I think it's important for him to, you know, he's got to build relationships and and you know build an environment around with his players and, and build relationships in the front office and ownership to you know make sure that everybody's on the same page there, that everybody's pulling in the same direction, and and you know that's how he's going to have success. I think that's how it's going to be measured with him you know, earlier in his tenure here. And it seems like also under Robert Sarver and management overall, seem bought on a singular plan of building through his draft now instead of just going through the middle years and years on end. Do you believe this is the best shot nowadays to compete for a title of building through his draft and forming together across the association, much like Golden State, and then they brought in Kevin Durant for that final piece? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, like, there's very few teams in the league who can do it any other way than to build through the draft. There's you know, a few free agent destinations, um, really elite free agent destinations. And even then you've seen, even with the Lakers or with New York, if the organization's not well run, if they don't have an infrastructure of players, they're not getting uh, – recent history has shown they're not going to get superstar players there. Even, you know, the Lakers are, you know, trying to – be in position to get LeBron James next summer, to get Paul George. And, you know, part of that is having other pieces there that those players look at and say, if I join up here, there's there's enough in place here to to, to win. Because even players like that, no, they're not, they can't do it alone. And so for Phoenix, you know, they're an example of a team, they have to do it through the draft. They have to do it through smart trades and, through player development, uh, again, gathering up assets, which they've done. They've had lots of, you know, they've had picks, and they've hit on many of their picks. Now they've got to grow those players. But, yeah, I think in this day and age in the league, I think most organizations understand that uh, doing it through the draft, scouting, uh, you know, running, having really strong player development programs, coaching staffs who can teach, who get guys better, you know, those are all the, you know, that's the recipe, that's the blueprint. And you're right, Phoenix has committed here the last couple of years to staying on that path uh, and, and uh, you know, recognizing that, you know, as close as they may have come for LaMarcus Aldridge or, you know, in the end, close doesn't matter, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. being able to deliver on guys and you know I think Ryan I think Ryan McDonough and Jeff Hornacek's first year you know having that success of 40 48 wins 47 wins you know it probably sped up the process looking back faster than it should have um, and maybe they moved you know they certainly moved quickly there to try to stay in that range and uh, when you know I think when Ryan took the job over they were coming off of uh, 20 low 20 low, in the wins in the low 20s and 
and thought it would be a progression. And it turned out to be a progression. That one year was a little bit of an anomaly. And, and I think now they're on the path of, of building long-term and, uh, you know, having some sustainable success. And, and I think they've, they've gone about it the right way. And, and I think Sarver, writing Robert Sarver recognized that and uh, gave uh, Ryan McDonough an extension this offseason and saw, hey, this is, this is our pathway here. And, and uh, I think they see the model, as we mentioned, of a few other teams, maybe like a Utah in the West. And, you know, for them, you hope, you know, Booker is your Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, that young player who goes through some losing and then, you know, grows. And then, you know, ideally, you keep the player, right? You, you, you try not to lose them. But uh, but I think you're right. I think they're on the – I think this is the right blueprint for Phoenix. Like you mentioned, Phoenix has really done a nice job last couple of seasons of asset gathering across the board. And McDonough's mentioned before that he's had the ammunition to go for big names, such as Paul George, such as Jimmy Butler, DeMarcus Cousins, et cetera. Is he just waiting for the right time? Because it seems like he's, he's a Danny H. people, so I'm, I'm assuming it's a, a big trade going to happen sometime. But is he just waiting for the right opportunity to accelerate the timeline? Yeah, I think you have to. That, that's the hardest decision, I think, for a GM is when to do that. Because, you know, you bring in a Paul George, you bring in a Jimmy Butler. And, you know, Butler had more time left on his contract. But, you know, to do a Paul George with a year left on his deal, the risk of giving up these assets and losing that player. That's you. You can't. Um, it's too great of a risk. They're not in a position here where they need to take that kind of a risk. And I think, I think you measure going after those kind of players based on the contractual status of that player, how much time he has left, and how it matches up with your group. Because you know you want to believe you're going to win, that that player is going to help you make a significant jump, and and then which which only is going to help your chances of keeping that player long term. And you have to measure all that out. And I think when you have still a really young team, uh, you know, you, you just don't want to flip those assets for a player who's um, you're going to have trouble keeping long term. Well, I wanted to ask you about two names I feel like are going to be names eventually that could be popped around rumors with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis. I know you said in an interview a couple months ago on uh, ESPN Milwaukee, I believe, on a radio station that um, people were like surfing around trying to see if they can get a hold of Giannis, even though it's very unlikely at this point, obviously. How do you see Giannis? Is he, is he like a crown jewel in Anthony Davis in terms of that big trade fish that everyone's just trying to get a, get a hold of? Yeah, I think with Giannis, I was on a show in Bristol, and all I said was, I was talking about how organizations are run. He just signed his new contract. All I said was that the clock starts on a play. With a play. When, you have a play, when you're in Milwaukee and you have a player of that, of that stature, that the clock's running on you. Uh, that oh, you, of course, yeah. They had, a, they had a turbulent summer in how they ran their GM search, how they, you know, the, the process that they ran, how they ran it, and that a great player's watching it, and he's watching how the organization is run, and that you're always on the clock. So <laughs> they're not trading him. His name will not be in any trade talks. Uh, it's not what um, – I certainly wasn't suggesting that, but the point was that for, for, for any organization, but especially a smaller market team, when you have a great talent like that, maybe the best player in the world under 25, mm-hmm. you have to uh, acknowledge that at all times and understand you better be – because you can be really well run. You can do everything right and still lose that, lose that player. I think Utah was an example of that. I think they, they, they have a, an excellent GM, an excellent coach, a very good infrastructure of players, a, a great fan base. They still lost Gordon Hayward. It wasn't enough. 
And so you, so, you know, for Milwaukee, you better get everything lined up and then still hope, right? You keep that player. I think that was my point more. I think uh, Anthony Davis is different. Now he still has what, three years left on his contract. Uh, yes. And so no one's going to be anxious to trade him. Uh, we'll, we'll see what his, you know, we'll see where Dave, I think Davis has been incredibly patient, uh, has been a great team guy there, really tried to lead and tried to, uh, you know, fight through what's been, you know, a lot of injuries, a roster that's flawed in a lot of ways that may not all fit together. Uh, and he's been what you'd want out of a player of his stature, which is, hasn't complained about it, uh, has just been really positive. And, but at some point, as an organization, you, you, you've got to worry about, you know, where, uh, you know, how long that all lasts before he says, hey, like, we've got to, nah, they're not there yet. Again, he's got a lot of time left on his deal. But, you know, when a player like that's in a situation where he's not in the playoffs, where his team may not be in again this year, uh, barring, you know, everything going right for them, uh, you know, there'll be teams who are going to poke around and see if at some point if that team wants to, you know, cash that player in to do a re- to, to do another rebuild. But it's really hard to trade a player of Davis's stature. You you almost have to be forced into it, and and you almost have to have a guy just say, I don't want to be here anymore, and push an organization to do it. That's not happened there. Uh, there's no suggestion it's 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 about to happen. But uh, when you're not winning in a place. Uh, New Orleans went through it with Chris Paul, um, you know, earlier. And so, you know, that, that certainly will be uh, something everybody in the league is going to keep their eye on. I want to ask you about one trade that actually did happen this summer, which was Paul George, Oklahoma City. Uh, because when comparing the other star deals that happened this summer, it was very low with just old Depot and Sabonis coming back. Was that just Pritchard not wanting to send him to a conference, conference rival, or what happened with that? No, I think in the end they liked the deal they got. I, I don't think it was it had to do with conference affiliation or keeping them in the east or the west. I think I, I think Boston's focus at the time was to try to sign Hayward and then do a deal later for Paul George. Um, you know, much the same way they signed Hayward and then they ended up doing the deal for Kyrie Irving. Uh, but you know, I think. Indiana felt that Boston wasn't ready at that time to do the kind of deal Indiana wanted done. Boston, I think, was hoping to wait, wait it out, get into free agency, and uh, I think they had a lot of confidence, and, and it turned out to be justified that they were going to get Gordon Hayward and then and then move on to the big deal. So Boston instead did the deal for Irving instead of a Paul George instead of Paul George and. Uh, you know, Indiana decided that they were going to get two starters and two young players in Oladipo and Sabonis that, you know, fit with, you know, they felt was the best deal out there for them. I mean, I know it's, it's certainly up for debate. Um, but it kind of showed you, though, the market for George was limited because of his pending free agency because, you know, he has said himself that his, you know, he, he had has an intention of, or had an intention at that time of going to the Lakers. I think, you know, Oklahoma City will, you know, has a year here to sell him and what Russell Westbrook, depending on the kind of commitment if he, if he makes to long-term to Oklahoma City, that that's going to be a real viable option for Paul George. But at the time of the trade, the feeling was 
Paul George was a rental, and and that was I think you know that limited what teams are willing to offer for him. Now I have two final questions here before I let you go. Uh, the 2018 draft class seems very low at the top of Marvin Bagley, Michael Porter, Luka Doncic, DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba. We have heard. Have you heard anything about this top five class, this class overall, and how it compares to 2017? Because for many scouts or anything, because I know Porter and Bagley have a lot of hype coming out. Yeah, and Doncic too, and and uh, I think this one might be very good at the top. This past year, 2017, people felt was a deep draft. Uh, you know, a couple of players who I think folks thought would be in last year's draft, a couple of freshmen who stayed. Um, Miles Bridges at, at Michigan State and uh, now his name's escaped me, the big guy. Robert Williams. Robert Williams at Texas A&M, who both stayed in school, figured would have certainly strengthened this class. There are two players people thought they would have been in the lottery, uh, decided to come back for their sophomore year. So you put both those guys in next year's draft, and, and they probably strengthen the middle of that lottery, You know, maybe somewhere from 4 to 7 or 4 to 8. Maybe that's the range they're in. It's still early. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, Porter, Bagley, and Donkic, uh, who teams have been overwatching in Europe uh, at the tournament going on now, uh, have been super impressed with him. I, I've heard nothing but just incredible feedback about him. I've, I've watched, you know, the tape I've watched with him, just tremendous skill. Like, you just don't see skill like that necessarily at an 18-year-old, playing the Spanish ACB League as a teenager and dominating is almost unheard of. There, there's very few who've done it. And uh, so he, he'll be advanced. You know, I, I think he's a very advanced player, um, you know, six foot seven sort of point guard, really, uh, who can shoot it well and, and does a little bit of does everything pretty well. You know, he'll be right up in that 2-3 range, I think, uh, maybe even for number one uh, in the draft. So... Uh, I, I think again at the top of the draft, I, I think there's you know star power, maybe not as deep as people felt like in the teens and twenties this year that they they had a chance to get some pretty good players. So uh, so it'll be um, it, it'll yeah it'll be fun to watch this group develop. I know this is a random question, but from for, from those prospects there from Donkic, Porter, and Bagley, which one do you think does best with Phoenix? Well, it's it's hard to. Uh, you know, I haven't watched enough of any of these guys to. Yeah. Um, I think as you see, I think Phoenix is in a mode still where you take the best available player and you figure it out later. I think drafting for needs always risky. I think you take the best player on the board. You know, you can always through trade. Um, you know, either trading at the draft as part of something or trading later on as players develop. But yeah, that's it's. Uh, you sort of need to see these players develop. Um, you know, and, and then start to take inventory on that. All right, final question here before I let you go. You reported earlier this week or last week that NBA lottery reform is probably likely to happen here by the 2019 draft. And with the odds that all the teams will shrink just a little bit through, and helping helping spread it out a little bit, a little bit more fairly cause for teams, how do you see this impacting the league that passes overall? And do you think this will stop the so-called tank that's happening around the league? Well, I think – there's still two processes that it has to get through. It's got to get through the competition committee, which meets this week, and then it's got to get through the board of governors, which meets at the end of September, end of the month. Um, board of governors is essentially the owners, and the competition committee is made up of general man a few general managers and, and, and a couple of coaches. Um, so, listen, the, the in the form it is now, which essentially is right now, like, 
the team with the worst record, the second worst record, the third worst record, you know, there's a descending order. You know, you have 25% chance of winning the lottery at one. You can't drop any further than four. The rules would essentially take the way it's proposed now, it would um, one, two, and three would all end up with the same percentage. Um, so there would be no advantage to having the either the you know the worst record or the second worst or the third worst, and then the percentages from there down it would just be they'd all be just within a percentage point of each other. So there would not be a great advantage of having the worst record versus say the fourth or fifth worst record. It would be fairly nominal, and so teams are hoping that would impact, or the league is hoping that would impact tanking, uh, resting of players, whatever you want to call it, late in the year. You know, but I think still a lot of small market teams do worry that, you know, their only chance of getting an elite player is through the draft. They can't sign them in free agency, and it's even increasingly more difficult to trade for them because players are telling, or agents are telling teams, hey, my guy's not going to resign with you, and that may limit trade market for teams. So now you're, you know, what worries people is all of a sudden if the Knicks are seventh or eighth and they jump up and, you know, take a spot from a Phoenix, from a, uh, you know, Minnesota, whoever, a, a small market team that might be up in the lottery, um, that it'll have a reverse effect of what they want, which is to, you know, give small, give everybody in the league a chance um, to get at that elite player. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of conversation about it still. I think it's going to be debate. I know it's going to be deba debated and discussed really heavily in that competition committee meeting, and then from out of there, they're going to make a recommendation to the Board of Governors. They could recommend that proposal as it is. They could scrap it all together. They could amend it. They could say, hey, we like this part of it, but let's um, amend it in this way. So uh, the league gives that competition committee pretty good leeway, Adam Silver does, to um, do what they think is in the best interests of the game and, and to look at all the factors and all the different ways that it can impact. You know, Zach Lowe was on my podcast last week, and Zach brought up a great point, which is if all of a sudden the teams in the mid to late lottery have a better chance than they did, which they would under this proposal, to get a high pick, well, what happens to the team who's fighting for the eighth spot late in the year or the seventh spot and says, you know what? Maybe we'd just be better off in the lottery because we have a chance to, you know, our chances to – we have a better chance than we've had to move up in the draft. Let's just tank ourselves out. Let, let's not compete for that playoff spot late in the year, and let's get in the lottery. In the past, when you would do that, you know, if you're at 12 or 13 or 14, you had like a 2% chance. Um, or in some cases, you know, I think it's 0.9 chance at number 14, whatever it is, to, to, to move up to the top. It's almost – uh, negligible. So if all of a sudden those opportunities improve, not just, you're not always looking just to go from 13 or 13 or 14 to 1 or 2, but can you get from there to 7 or 8? That's a big difference with the kind of players. So those are all the consequences of lottery reform. You sort of move the, the pressure point of tanking to a different place in the lottery versus the top of it. So it's a complicated issue. Uh, the league has tried for years here to figure out a solution. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that competition committee and then what the owners, board of governors decide to do at the end of the month based on whatever recommendation they get. But uh, I think there's confidence there'll be changed in some way, but we may not. 
it may not be apparent what that change is going to be until this group meets later in the week. Again, I really appreciate taking the time out for me this morning. Woj, out your busy schedule. I really appreciate it. And I hope to have you on again sometime, maybe during the season. My pleasure, Evan. Good to be with you.